Northwest Prime, bringing Seattle to the world and the world to Seattle. I'm your host, Lori Ness, a soldier on the front line of the mainstream. You can listen to this and other shows at northwestprime.com and be sure to stay with Seattle Wave Radio 24-7, 365 for more great music and interviews. We're starting a movement of kindness and we want you to join us. Let's get this show started. My guest this afternoon is Ryan White, and Ryan is a filmmaker with several successful movies, including Good Old Frida out in limited release and currently on iTunes. I watched this last night. It's absolutely phenomenal. Good Old Frida is told by Frida Kelly, the loyal friend and secretary to the legendary band, The Beatles. But we're going to kind of get into this. I want everyone to see it. This is, you know, you, you, you hear this from us all the time. This is a must-see. That's a must-see. This is a must-listen. No, this is really a must-see. You don't even have to have been born in the Beatles era like, like myself to really have enjoyed this movie. So I'm so thrilled to have Ryan on. We can talk about it and and get some information out there to everybody so that they can start watching this film as well. Thank you, Ryan, for coming on. Thanks, Lori, for having me. You know, I, I watched this movie last night. You're, I, I would imagine, I don't know exactly how old you are, but you probably weren't born in the Beatles era just, just like myself, but that doesn't mean that we still aren't Beatles fans. But we miss kind of that um, that craziness that was going on around. I, I didn't live through that. I, I don't know if you did or not. But this really brings you right back into that time, and I could see it in a completely different eyes. Yeah, no, I'm I'm 32, so I also didn't live through that era. But I actually grew up around those circles of people. So my uncle was actually in the film. He was in a band called the Mersey Beats that were really famous in the 60s in Liverpool at, at the same time as the Beatles. So they played you know, the legendary Cavern Club many times with the Beatles. So um, I'm American, but I've grown up going back and forth to Liverpool my whole life. And my uncle was in the Mersey Beast. My aunt worked for the Beatles fan club when she was a teenager. Uh, And so their whole group of friends, for the most part, are sort of remnants of that 60s Liverpool music scene. And Frida Kelly was one of those people. So I grew up knowing her from, you know, Christmases or family weddings or events like that. Um, but as we explore in the film, uh, she really has had private about her life since she, since she left the Beatles in 1972. So I, I did not know that she was the Beatles secretary. Um, so I grew up around her and I grew up around that music. But it, it, it is an era that I think seems pretty magical that, that I'm pretty uh, pretty sad to have missed out on and, and felt very lucky to have been able to make a film and kind of recreate that era. Well, it really, truly is a historical preservation of that era that you were able to tap into her. Because she really, I mean, is a, a oil well of just wonderful, wonderful knowledge. Did, did you have any idea how much was going to come spilling out of her? No, I had no idea. And, you know, when I found out that Frida was interested in making a film, you know, she'd had many offers over the last 40 years uh, to write tell-all books or make other films, and she'd always declined those offers because she, she she liked her life of anonymity, and she, you know, didn't want to seek the fame or the celebrity, and so uh, she actually approached me about making the, the film a few years ago, and I'm, I always say I'm very lucky that I was the only documentary filmmaker in the family, um, and she approached me about making it, and I still didn't know what that meant. You know, I found out she was the Beatles secretary, but I didn't know if that meant, you know, that she was one of many secretaries or that 
you know, she had only worked for them for six months. And so I was, uh, I was, I was a little bit suspicious at first, I think. And the idea was that she had reached this point in her life that she wanted to uh, make a documentary record just for her family. So basically she was going to create a DVD for her family so that they would have this on record. And so I basically thought I was doing her a favor and making this film at the beginning. And then she and I began having the conversation before I went over to Liverpool. I thought I was going to, like, hop over there for a week, uh, film her stories for her, and hand her a DVD. But we began having the preliminary conversation, um, and my mind was immediately blown at, at the, you know, not only the, the, the this intimate stories that she had with the Beatles, but that she was also, you know, one of the Beatles' longest-serving employees and that, she was one of the very few survivors from the original inner circle and the only one who's never gone down on the record. And so, you know, the wheels started turning in my mind and, uh, and I, and I decided, I, I decided to ask her if she wanted to make something a little bit more, more of a film out of it than a family film. And luckily she agreed to that, but, you know, we had our world premiere at South by Southwest this year and Frida's daughter, her name's Rachel. She came to the world premiere, um, and after it, she came up to me and said that 95% of the film was completely new to her. So, I mean, that's the closest person to Frida in her entire life. And 95% of these stories were unknown to her. So uh, I find it interesting that you use the expression oil well, but it, it really is. She's, she's sort of this untapped source of amazing Beatles stories that even the closest people in her family didn't know from her. You know, absolutely. I wasn't exactly sure what to expect either going in. I thought, well, you know, she's, I, I'd, I'd heard, you know, she was with them, you know, before they were kind of the Beatles, so to speak. And then she was after them, and she stayed with them until they broke up. But it didn't really register with me until I thought, well, I wonder what information she's going to have. Oh, my gosh. She was, I mean, she was friends, not only friends with their families, but intimate as far as personal as if she was a member of the family and they treated her as such. I mean, she was moving fluidly in and out of work and social and in these families. And I mean, you can't get any more intimate than, than she was into the comings and goings and the knowledge and the everyday things that were going on with not only the Beatles, but their mother and their father and their sisters and their brothers. And it's absolutely amazing. And, and that she could remember all of that. I mean, she would talk, um, she, she'd start talking, and there'd be these little details that you, you could tell you caught her, like, remembering it. And it would be small, but it was so interesting and so significant. And it just added so much. It, it was like you were there. I, I, I felt like I was there with her. Yeah, I mean, that was that was sort of the idea because, you know, none of these stories had been rehearsed, obviously. She'd never even taken the time to tell them to her family. So we didn't even know what we were going to get when we were recording with her. We, You know, things were coming out left and right. And so, you know, I have to say one of my favorite parts about making this film was exactly what you just said, getting to be a part of the remembering process with her and getting, you know, to watch the memories move through her as she's telling them. And we tried... You know, we did one shoot in Liverpool where we shot all of her stories with her in her own home, um, you know, kind of saw what we had. We came back to the U.S. and edited the cut together, and then we went back to Liverpool six months later, and we took her to a lot of the locations where her stories had come from. And then once we did that, more stories started coming out. And then the, the one place that comes to mind that I would say was probably the most special place to visit with her 
uh, with Ringo's childhood home, where she spent a significant amount of her of her ten years with the Beatles. Um, Frida had lost her own mom when she was an infant, and so she kind of saw Ringo's mother, whose name was Elsie Starkey, as as the mother figure in her life. They were extremely close, and so we went back to that home where. Um, you know, even when Ringo was in the Beatles, he was still living with his parents, so there were two bedrooms. Uh, and we went back in that home, and then you really felt the memories start moving through her that, then, and then it was a gold mine of more stories. And so it really was pretty special to be a part of that process with her. And it made it even more special that Ringo has an appearance at the end of this film. It really brought the whole thing together because you're pulling for Frida really in the movie because we're watching her light up like a Christmas tree for one thing as she's going through. I mean, it's just not story after story. I mean, it's really, it really is like a historical record. The things that's just falling out of her mouth like it's no big deal are huge diamonds and you're just like picking them up and trying to remember them as fast as you can and that's why I want to see it again because there was just so much information like you said with Ringo's mom she didn't have a daughter and Frida didn't have a mother and you know and and they found this bond and this commonality and this love really a genuine love and and then it goes all the way back from when Ringo first came and she goes all the way back until when um he comes into the band and, and he comes with his little uh um fan letters and, and wants her to help him out and she's like oh no you know your mother's going to have to do that and and so she goes back and forth she says all right bring me your letters he has nine she's like nine that's all you have is nine but so it's it's just really sweet if she just takes you back from the very beginning and so for Ringo to come in at the end and kind of I don't know, kind of put the ribbon, because that's what you want for Frida. You feel like she deserves it. She deserves the recognition. She deserves the Beatles to kind of stand behind her and and say, yeah, this this is this is our girl, and and we, you know, stand by her. And and when Ringo came in and did that, I was it just it just made me so happy at the end of the film. Me too. Yeah, and I mean, we are extremely grateful to Ringo and Paul because. Uh, you know, outside of them participating in the film, it, we also were able to use Beatles music in our film, which is extremely, extremely rare, especially for a low-budget documentary. And, you know, I have to say these achievements of our film are a total testament to Frida and, you know, the, the way she served the Beatles and then also the way she's lived her life for the last 40 years with the utmost respect and loyalty and integrity and never selling them out that, um, you know, you know, you go to Apple Records now and you can feel in the building once you say Frida's name that there's a real reverence from her. For people who never knew her, they just know her name. Um, and so I think as a small documentary, we were able to pull off some pretty impossible feats because, just because of who she is. Well, not only does, does she come out of this documentary um, with so much respect, but it also gives you a whole new respect and for the Beatles as well. She talks about each one of them very personally. You can tell, you can completely tell it comes through 100% clear that she really loved these guys and were very protective and loyal and very genuine to them and wanted them to obviously be portrayed in in the best way because that's the way she saw them. And she talks about each one of them. And even if you weren't in the Beatles era, you know, like you could still be a John Lennon fan. She just has these great memories of John Lennon. And and she's just telling them, and, and she's happy. And I found myself smiling just watching the movie. I'd catch myself. I'd be <laughs> grinning like her. I'd be reflecting her grin, you know. And uh, and, and Ringo and George and, and 
each one of them were different but very special in their own way, and she was really great at bringing out each one of their their, their strengths with their human qualities. Yeah, I mean, and she was she was seventeen when she started this job, so she was she was friends with the Beatles. They were, you know, George was the youngest Beatle, and I think he was eighteen when she met him. So she was basically their age, and was and was very good friends with them before they were the Beatles, you know, before they were superstars. And so uh, I hope that's something that can come across in our film that that you don't get that perspective a lot on the Beatles as boys before they were, you know, the world's richest and most famous people, what they were, what they were like as boys and, and how excited they were that, that, that their band was breaking. And she, you know, they had the 17 year old girl who they hired who was alongside them the whole time. And so I, I know that she thinks back on that decade very fondly. You know, she always says she wouldn't have wanted to grow up in any other era besides the sixties. And when it ended in 1972, she she stayed with the Beatles two years after they kind of disbanded. Um, and when it ended, she chose to move on with her life and sort of hide from the Beatles spotlight. And she's done that successfully for the last 40 years. She's been really hard to find. You know, her her name changed when she got married, and um, she's 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 taken several successful measures to to not be found. And so she, we were talking the other day. She was over here for for our premiere on September 6th, and she was saying, you know, I was so nervous about this and it was so daunting, but she, but she said it's been like a second youth for her to get to relive this because she spent 40 years not acknowledging it and not interacting with people about it and not even talking to her family about it, that now she's really back in the mix of things and she said it's surprisingly fun, which as, as a filmmaker who made this alongside her and someone, you know, who cares very deeply for her, even on a personal level, it's just, it's really fun to see. Yeah, I wanted to ask you what her reaction's been now that because she has been so private in the past for forty for forty years she kept working as a secretary and a lot and most people like you said didn't even know that she had kind of this whole past behind her and so now she's out in the forefront. I, I think that I read that she's going to Japan in November and so I, yeah, I'm very interested to see how how she's embracing this and and in, is, is she enjoying it. She is enjoying it. I mean, it's funny. She's she's still a working secretary today. She works for a law firm. Um, and, you know, I sort of, I, I love the idea of telling a story about a secretary, that, that the profession of, of secretarial work. And so we, we filmed quite a bit of her modern-day secretarial job, but no one knew that she was the Beatles secretary in her law firm office in Liverpool. So we had to shoot all the scenes on weekends when no one was really in there. And, and she didn't want people to know. And now now that the film... The film hasn't come out in England yet, but it's it's come out quite a bit in the U.S. And so some some press has has bled over to England. And there was when she was at South by Southwest, uh, that's when we pulled off Beatles music for the film. And I think a London newspaper or something picked up that story. And her boss texted her while while she was in Austin, Texas, with us, and said, um, "You've kept this very quiet." Dot dot dot. And so you know, her <laughs> boss didn't know about this. None of the other secretaries at her work knew about this. So she's finally sort of out. Um, and I think she was nervous about that, but I do, I, I do think she's enjoying it. I think there's a certain safety to being out in the U.S., and it's not that close to her. And, you know, when she's at film festivals here, or our premieres a few weeks ago, um, you know, she's like a, she's like a celebrity, um, you know, and all Beatles fans want to get close to her. But I think there's a certain safety to that not having happened in England, really. Um, so that'll be interesting to see how that goes. Uh, we premiere in England next month, actually, but... 
so far, so good. And she yeah, with, it's being released in Korea and Japan and Germany, and she's getting to go to a lot of these places. And, I mean, Frida loves traveling, so the idea that she gets to go to these places and people are interested in hearing her story totally baffles her, but she's she's enjoying the ride so far. Well, good, good, because, again, you just pull him forward throughout the whole movie. There's a scene that's really, really powerful in the movie, and it's when she goes up into her attic. Were, were, were you there on, on that day when that was being filmed? Were you in the attic with her that day? Yeah, we um, we didn't even know that there was anything in the attic. When we were filming at her house, I just said, have, did you keep anything? And she said, I don't know, I think I have some stuff up there. So... I convinced her very carefully because she, she, she doesn't like the idea of, of any of that type of filming. I said, can we just go up to the attic with you and look around? And she said, okay. And then so we went up and she had her, you know, four boxes left of Beatles memorabilia. And Frida actually closed down the Beatles offices. So she left with truckloads of boxes of stuff that is probably extremely, extremely expensive now. And she gave it away all over the years. She never, she never sold any of it. So she had these four boxes remaining and they're, um, you know, they're, they're full of treasures really. Was your heart pounding when she, you know, is getting up to those, because mine was, she's like, well, let me see what I have. I felt my heart like racing. I'm like, what is going to be in those boxes? You know? And of course she had great stuff. Was it like she had like George Harrison's hair or something in there? (laughs) Well, it's funny about George Harrison's hair. So we, we funded our film with a Kickstarter campaign, I think two or three years ago. And someone donated a piece of George Harrison's hair. Like part of Frida's job was to was to follow the Beatles to the barber, and she would sweep up their hair, and she would actually send out strands of Beatles hair to fans all over the world. And so, strands of those hair still exist, you know, uh, among people out there. And someone still had a strand of George Harrison's hair, and they um, they said, "I'm going to auction this off on eBay, and whatever I auction it off for, I'll donate to your film." Since Frida sent it to me, you know, 48 years ago. Um, and one strand of George Harrison's hair sold for almost three thousand um, oh dollars. So we're we're in Frida's attic, you know, forty five years later, and she's opening up a scrapbook, and out falls an envelope, still sealed from the nineteen sixties, with her nineteen sixties teenager girl handwriting on it that says George Harrison's real hair. Um, and it just falls <laughs> out of the scrapbook, and I say, you know, oh my God, Frida, that is that is worth so much money because it's full of his hair. And, I mean, this is total vintage Frida. She just gave me the most disapproving, <laughs> judgmental look I've gotten in my life, probably, that I even mentioned that. And I just kind of wilted and said, yeah, but of course, that's that's disgusting. You would never sell that. And that's just how she is. You know, the idea that she would sell one of her friend's hair, you know, locks of his hair, when she probably has hundreds of thousands of dollars in there, um, it's disgusting. Mm-hmm. She, would never, she would never entertain well, you know, it really has to be divine intervention because it had to be one in, I don't even know, a billion people who could have done as well for the Beatles at that time as Frida. She was absolutely the right person for the job when it came to loyalty and integrity and being genuine and loving and respectful and um and, and taking that job so seriously. She's, she's, I, you know, she's very I, I tough. Yes, yes. Yeah, she had that side of her too. She was only 17 when she started out. Most 17-year-olds, you know, don't don't have that capacity. I didn't. 
Right. Yeah. No, I mean, I, and I hope that comes across in the film that there are two very distinct personality sides to Frida, and I think both aided her very well. And most people were fired from the Beatles organization throughout because Brian Epstein, their manager, was very mercurial and, and fired people like crazy. And Frida was one of the only ones who was never fired. And I think that's because she's able to walk this very fine line, and I still see her do it today as a, as a secretary at a law firm where she is very charming and genuine and can get what she wants out of people. But when people cross her or people cross the line, she can be extremely tough. And we have a few examples of that in our own film, you know, when she, for instance, fired an entire staff of girls, when one of the girls sent out her own hair pretending to be Paul McCartney's hair, or um, another example is John Lennon fired her one time when she, when Frida had been hanging out with another band. He kind of lost his temper with her and fired her, and she, she convinced him to get on his hands and knees and, and beg her to come back and work for him. And so... Um, you know, she can be charming when she needs to be, but for a 17-year-old girl, she was also very tough, and I think that's one of the reasons that, that she was so good at her job. Yeah, it, I, I kept thinking that the whole time. I kept thinking, I hope the Beatles understand what a, a real gem they had in her, because yeah, as she's spilling out all this information and she's going through her attic, you know, she's this is wealth of protect i mean she's like a vault and um mm-hmm. and so to be able to get past her i mean really really she's just absolutely one one in a million maybe a billion have you had any feedback at all from ringo or paul since the films come out have they seen it do you know well, I, I haven't had any direct feedback, but we've been in touch with their teams the entire time who've been very supportive. And, you know, I have to assume they've seen the film because because they approve Beatles music and it is so extremely rare and so many people have to sign off on that. And I think that's why it never happens. But but the first four that have to sign off on it are the surviving Beatles and the, and the, and the Beatles estates. So, um, you know, I think that they knew... They know Frida very well, you know, and I think there's still a lot of reverence among Ringo and Paul for Frida. And I think they knew that she would only make a, a classy film, but they, they don't know me and they don't know the other people working on the film. So, um, you know, I have to believe that they that they watched the film very carefully to see if it was something that they wanted to get behind. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and luckily, luckily they did. And I, I think, you know, having Beatles music in the film takes it to a whole other level, obviously. So um, we're very right. grateful we're willing to do that. Yeah, no, that, that's another thing I, I did want to point out was that you were able to get the licensing from the Beatles, which is a very hard thing to do and normally very, very expensive if you could, if it can even be done. And you were able to get that and didn't have to pay a high-budget um, price that they completely worked with you. And it was really, and I completely agree, you said this earlier, out of respect for Frida that they did that. And, and again, it was very heartwarming for me to have to see that they would do that for her because I really did feel like the whole time I'm watching it that she really was special and, and, and she deserved her place um, in history as as really um, a friend to them. Yeah, which she which she would never acknowledge. You know, even now she doesn't. She she's just one of those people. I think a very rare personality who's not only. Um, enchanted by fame or money, but also just doesn't need recognition and, and doesn't want recognition. And that's not why she made this film. You know, I feel very proud that she's finally getting the recognition because I think she deserves that, but I think that might be a generational thing. Um, 
she doesn't feel the need for the recognition at all. She, you know, she told this story for one reason, and that was for her grandson, so that he would know one day, you know, when he's a lot older, that his grandma lived this crazy life. And that's, that's I think, what was most important to her and what she'll be proudest of in the end. Well, right, and it's, it even is even deeper than that because her own son had kind of asked her over the years about the stories, and she never did talk about them because she thought that was in the past. And he passed away, and she had a little bit of regret that he had passed away now, and, and she hadn't got to really kind of tell him those stories. And then she has her grandson, and so she did want to – and that was another great thing about Ringo and how he addresses that at the end. Again, he just really tied that whole thing up with a with a pretty little bow at the end. And even though Frida didn't want the acknowledgement as a fan and as a human – I wanted it for her, you know, because you you wanted, we're always pulling for the underdog, so to speak, you know, and here's this woman who just really went out of her way for these guys and really loved them um, in in, in a true way and not not for receiving anything or any benefit or nothing monetarily. It was purely a pure love for them that was driven out of the music um, years ago, you you just really want her to kind of get her due, even though she don't want it. As a as a fan, you you kind of want it for her. So I'm I'm really thrilled that that she's getting some of that. Yeah, no, I'm I'm I am as well. It's 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 one of my favorite parts of having made the film that she's finally getting the recognition that I think she, that she was due. How is it, um, Ryan, as a documentary filmmaker? you get connected to people maybe more so than if you were just making a film that was fantasy or fiction or something. I mean, you're really dealing with true people and real emotions and families and, and freedom alive. I mean, you know, she's a living, breathing, functioning, you know, person um, in the world. Is that hard to get um, connected to these people? Well, with Frida specifically, I would say, uh, I mean, that's a big part of a documentary filmmaker's job, I think, first of all, is connecting with people, and that's probably why we chose our profession, is that, that that's what I enjoyed from the beginning, is being a part of telling other people's stories. Um, but with Frida specifically, you know, because she had withheld the story for so long and because it was so nerve-wracking for her to finally, you know, go down on the record, I, 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 I felt, I mean, I, I knew her before this, so I already had an affection for Frida, but uh, I felt an extreme responsibility to make something that she thought was faithful to herself and something that she would be proud of one day. And so probably more so than any other film I've made and, and might make in the future, this this film, I was particularly close with the subject. Frida and I still talk just about every day on the phone, you know, about different issues with the film and where, where you know, different distribution issues and where it's going to be coming out and about interviews. And so, um, I think while I had a strong affection for her, and we were we were close before this film, that we'll probably have you know a bond for the rest of our lives just because we did this side by side. And you know, I'm just so happy that she's happy with the film. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you did an amazing job. You did a wonderful job, and she did a great job giving not only a time capsule for her grandson Niall, but for the rest of us too, because it really was just story after story after story of just loving memories that 
have never really been heard before at all. And um, th- th- there was one part where she was telling how when the Beatles were still at the cavern that the girls would come and they would have curlers in their hair and they would leave the curlers in all the way up until right when the Beatles were about to come on stage and then they would take them out and so their it, their hair would be pretty. And those are just little things, I mean, little tiny things that most people maybe would have forgot about. But when she's telling it, you could it just brought you right back to that time and I'm thinking that never even occurred to me, but it's 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 stuff like that over and over and over and over again that really make this film so um enduring to people and, and to me for sure. Well thank you. I mean I mean that's why that's why I was drawn to Frida the storyteller. She has amazing details and amazing flourishes that she remembers and, and they really help anyone relate to that story. You know, whether it's you know, it's involving the four most famous people in the world. She has ways of drawing people in that just make them really relatable and endearing, I think. Mm-hmm. And she's a wonderful storyteller. And she, and she told another one where uh, when their first record came out, she didn't even own a record player, but her and all of her friends were going out and they were buying the record because they wanted to help the sales, you know. And uh, that's really how you know you have a good group when people are willing to buy the music and they don't even have any way of uh, – even playing it, and that's that, <laughs> that's how people really believe in the Beatles. Now she admits she didn't even like that song at the time. She was she was <laughs> angry that that was their first single. She still hates that song. So um, <laughs> that shows how loyal she was that she was still willing to buy it, even though she didn't have a record player and she disliked the song. <laughs> that is amazing. Well, this is really a feel-good movie. Um, There's a lot of movies out there. You walk away, you kind of feel like you've been ripped off after you've paid the money or you don't feel good when you're leaving. Everybody in the theater kind of walks out somber. This is not one of those movies. Not only will you be happy to pay the money, you will pay for it again and again and again and again. I'm going to download it on iTunes um, tonight and make my husband watch it, and I'm going to watch it again with him. But it is absolutely, you'll just find yourself smiling throughout the movie. It's um, it's. It's one of those movies that I, I think you can just watch over and over again. It's going to be playing in Seattle this weekend on the 20th, starting at the Sundance Cinema. It's a great, great place to watch a movie. So if you are in the Seattle area, it's also being released in limited um, uh, release around the country. And you can go to goodoldfrida.com and you can find out more about the movie there. We have it posted on our website as well. But to uh, this weekend in Seattle, the Sundance Cinemas, you can see it starting on the 20th. Thanks, Ryan, for coming on. I really, really appreciate it. Thanks, Lori. I appreciate it as well. Uh, just best of luck and uh, tell Frida that uh, we're all pulling for her. And I, I really um, am thankful that, that you two hooked up and were able to bring us this movie as as divine intervention it wasn't for her at that time i really feel like it was divine intervention for you to meet her and then bring the story the rest of the way so um very 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 good thank you thank you very much Lori. all right have a great day you too bye-bye bye-bye all right that was ryan white he's a documentary filmmaker of the good old frida story starring frida kelly and she was she was more than a secretary to the beatles she has the most amazing stories you will ever want to hear and it's worth the price of admission to be able to hear them again and again just a very very genuine lady that is it for us today The Beatles did not approve for me to license any of their music, so we won't be going out with any Beatles music from from uh, from my point 
today, but please get out and see Good Old Frida if it comes to a theater near you, and you can also get it on iTunes. It's number six right now on iTunes, and let's put it to number one because it really should be number one in the documentary film category right now. Have a great day, and thanks for listening, and go out and see Good Old Frida.